Giannato's with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, October 18th, and this is the Fistianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistianatospod. We have a lot to get to this week. It's two weeks. It's like every two weeks this year, there's been some kind of crazy story which somehow changes the boxing landscape. Let's get to the review section first. Let's look at the past two weeks of action. On Saturday, October 6th, we had DAZN's first U.S.-based card with quite a lot of action. There are no TV ratings for this, and I don't expect to see any kind of true measure measurement for this soon. I have said on previous podcasts that I do think Nielsen will come up with some kind of rating for this um, relatively soon, more in response to what's happening on Netflix than anything else. Um, but we don't have ratings for DAZN yet, and I'm not sure we will, in, in certainly in the short term. <clears throat> Either way, there's a lot to take away from the look and feel of the card, and and there were some decent fights too. Um, And I've said in the past, I want to give these sort of new entities a couple fights to get under their belt. Um, So I'm going to give quick takeaways here, you know, on the look and feel of the broadcast and everything. But let's get to the action. Jesse Vargas and Thomas Dulorme fight to a majority draw. Big Baby Miller, Jarrell Miller, wins by KO2 over Tomas Adamek. Arter Beterbiev wins by KO, <coughs> excuse me, KO4 over Callum Johnson. And Danny Roman with a KO9 over Gavin McDonald. We'll start with Vargas and Delorme. That was a really good fight. I'm not sure I need to see it again, at least right away. Vargas is a really good fighter, but we have a running theme here of him fighting to the level of his competition Case in point, Adrian Broner and Thomas DeLorme are not on the same level. Probably not even that close. I think Broner knocks him out if they ever fight. And I think it's easy to say that Vargas made a last-minute sort of mistake against DeLorme and paid for it dearly. Uh, That's true. That's really what happened. Uh, The real issue for me here is that from a matchmaking perspective, you have a guy in Vargas that lacks KO power. Vargas can make great fights. They're probably going to come against higher level opponents than Delorme, who's a decent fighter, but every time he's faced a real step up, he hasn't fared well. Uh, Vargas is a good signing for DeZone, but I think they'll need to match him up tougher. Uh, Big Baby Miller, I really like him. He did what he was supposed to do here. He took easily the most cynical matchup on the card and turned it into sort of a, a pretty positive thing for whatever that really means, I guess. Anyone who saw the video of him visiting Adamic afterwards, like who was clearly one of Miller's heroes, would know that this was an emotional thing for Miller to fight someone he's admired greatly, you know, visit him afterwards. Two rounds in the way it happened, it actually seemed merciful, both for Adamic and the quality of life that he'll have after this, as well as for the viewers who just quite frankly didn't need to see this fight. 
Um, does it do anything for Miller? Well, it at least shows that he does have some power to get guys out of there if need be. And he's going to be a dark horse to get Anthony Joshua for that April date coming up. Um, it's not like this victory automatically puts him in the running. He was already in the running simply because he's with Eddie Hearn and he's pretty good. If Usyk beats Bellu in November and the Wilder negotiations don't go anywhere, you'd have to think that it's Dillian White, Usyk, and Miller. Those are the three guys in the running for that April date. Given that we've already seen White and Usyk probably needs a fight or two at heavyweight before he takes on the champ, it's not crazy that Miller gets that fight. Like, there's a real path for him to get that fight. Uh, moving on, I want to see more of Artur Beterbiev. It sounds like he's got a fight lined up in December, maybe on that December 15th card from MSG that we'll get to later. <clears throat> um, he's a big talent. We haven't seen enough of him. He he showed he's vulnerable, vulnerable here, too. Like, Johnson is a tough fighter, and while he's not on Beterbiev's level, he knocked Beterbiev down. And... I just I think that it, it, the real issue with him comes back to we haven't seen enough of him yet. Um, I've talked about this division a lot on the podcast previously. DAZN missing out on the Alvarez Kovala fight to ESPN like that's something to take into consideration. Showtime has Stevenson and ESPN has Vazdik, but their fight will be December one on Showtime. It's everybody's talked about this division for for months. I mean, in fact, my second episode on the podcast was where we talked about that this division is really ripe for network trades and sort of network stealing each other's fighters, the unification fights. Like, we're already starting to see some of that, and we're starting to see some great matchups here. Specifically with Beterbiev, <coughs> while I'd love to see DAZN pay for a big unification fight with him, I don't mind watching him fight a game opponent at all. He's got heavy hands. I'll definitely be up for seeing more of that. Danny Roman... <clears throat> this is another weight class similar to light heavyweight where DAZN has a legit guy in Roman and they got the bankroll to get him opponents. Now, Roman made for a really good TV fight against McDonald. And while I'm not thinking that Eddie Hearn has like this undeniable talent here who's going to blow everybody out, I do like watching him in with competitive guys. I want to see more. All right, let's talk about the broadcast for a second. I've said in the past that we need to give anything like this. You know, I said it just a couple of minutes ago that own Facebook Watch, it's a few fights. Here's just the initial thoughts. I really enjoyed Chris Mannix and Kay Adams. Mannix is one of the few boxing journalists who has covered the beat and now has enough reps at shows like this. Like, Remember, he did those NBC sports shows with main events, and he's had a radio show, which obviously is mostly focused on the NBA, but still covers boxing. I mean, there just aren't that many boxing beat writers who have TV reps like that at a higher level who can do TV and seem natural. He's improved quite a bit. Uh, and I do enjoy his analysis. I actually thought he had some of the best analysis on the show. Kay Adams, she has a really tough job. She's sort of like hosting this whole event and needs to be both a gracious host and display knowledge and enthusiasm for the sport. Uh, and I thought she came off very natural doing it. I think not having a desk like some other broadcasts have, I think that really helps. I think it just made the whole thing more free-flowing, less stiff. I liked Brian Kenny calling the action. Um, I felt like they went for this hyper-realistic feel in the broadcast. <clears throat> it kind of came at the expense of some shots, especially there were certain times in all the fights where they didn't pull back enough and show wider shots. 
Sugar Ray Leonard for me, he didn't really add a whole lot. I'm willing to give him some more time for right now. I thought Sergio Moro was good. I didn't watch the undercards, though, and he only did two of the main events. Like, I thought that was a little weird how they kind of pulled him in and out. The interviews, they did two of them UK style where it's like right outside the ring after the fight with Kenny, and they did two in the ring with Mannix. Um, let's just see how that plays out. I, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts yet. I want to see that a bit more. Interesting, yeah, I, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to say like, hey, that's the template. That's the way to do it from here on out. Um, the pieces on the individual fighters, like the two-minute clips, and, and you can actually watch these on DAZN, they were really good. Uh, I don't know the, the guy personally that they hired, but I know other people who have worked for him. He was at HBO and Showtime, you know, both for, for several years at both places. He's really good. Uh, he's really well regarded. I thought the, the little clips they did were excellent. Um, so from that point, you know, great start. I like the pacing of the show too. Part of that, I think it comes with being a streaming service where you don't have to worry about another sporting event or a movie that comes in earlier. You just move along at the right pace of the event. You don't have to worry about commercials, anything like that. Um, one more thing, while I don't need to see horrible mismatches like Miller Adonic, I do like seeing some KOs on a fight card where there's four fights on the main event. And to even take that a step further, I'll go on record saying I actively don't want to watch 48 rounds of boxing like that. So I think you do have to balance it out, and they did a, a good job for that. Okay, <clears throat> on Saturday, October 13th, we had Terrence Crawford winning by KO12 over Jose Benavides Jr. Also on the card, Shakur Stevenson winning by first-round KO over Villarreal Simeon. As you guys know, I butcher these names regularly. This is ESPN's highest-rated show of the year, and it merits a much closer look. So the show does a 1.6 rating, and it peaks at 1.8, which to most people is meaningless. But what that really means, and, and this is the reason why I give viewership numbers rather than a rating, um, <clears throat> there's about 120 million households in the United States that have TVs. What that means is at the peak, 1.8% of them were tuned into the main event. Um, so the main event peaks at just over 2.7 million viewers. The whole show averages 2.2 million viewers. It actually dipped to 1.8 million viewers right after the first fight, but then picked back up with a lot of momentum for the main event. Obviously, it adds almost a whole other million viewers, which, as people who've listened to the show know, that's more than a lot of these shows do, period. I mean, that's Basically, that's more than any Showtime show and most HBO shows. I think in any Showtime show except the Wilder Ortiz and any HBO show this year except the Golovkin fight on May 5th, that's more than they've done, period. It added that in between the, the first undercard and the main event. Um, this is a big sign that Top Rank and ESPN are figuring this thing out and they're making it work. The Alabama game, which was a blowout, was a strong lead-in. And yes, there were clearly places like Birmingham, Alabama, that did huge ratings for a fight that you wouldn't expect to see them from. The Alabama game was the number two rated cable show of the night. <clears throat> it averaged 3.7 million viewers. For ESPN to lose about half those viewers and, and then get, and that's I'm saying at, at the, the low point of the Crawford rating, and then get back up to a peak of 2.7, 
So essentially they follow up the number two rated cable show of the night with the number four rated cable show of the night. And that's the Crawford show was the number four rated cable show of the night. That's huge for ESPN, especially in that time slot. Ten, a 10.30 start time on Saturday night is not a great time slot. You're much better off in that Alabama type of time slot where people on both on the East Coast and the West Coast still can do something after that game because uh, it is Saturday night. That's a huge, huge deal. Um, I think it also, it's noteworthy. They didn't shy away from college football. They embraced it. Showtime isn't even televising boxing during the month of October. And Espinoza has basically gone on record saying that they just don't do it because of college football. They're kind of afraid of it. So this is exactly why top rank did the deal with ESPN. You know, there's evidence here that ESPN is cross-pollinating audiences successfully and building to that main event well. Like I said, that's literally why Top Rank made the deal with ESPN and left pay cable. Because the HBO lead-in would have been a movie to a night of fights like this, and, and that movie, you don't even know if it's going to skew male or not. Obviously, boxing skews heavily male, so you want that, and sports is the right lead-in for it. ESPN has a football game on, they managed to do two back-to-back ratings that are both great, the number two and the number four shows a night. That's fantastic for all parties involved. That's the entire goal of how you schedule live programming, especially when you know you have an anchor like that. The whole point of having an Alabama football game on ESPN is because you know that if you follow it up with a strong piece of programming, your follow-up's going to get a big boost, and that's exactly what happened here. Also for top rank. If you don't think that the PR boost Crawford got from the Horn fight was helpful, you're not paying attention. Even though less people watched the Horn fight because it was on ESPN+, Crawford got a lot of attention before the fight because they were using him to sell the app to subscribers. He did a whole lot of PR afterwards, especially on relevant ESPN programming. That raised his profile. I've said this on this podcast and, and on others I just don't think that fighting on ESPN Plus, when there's that kind of concerted effort from all parties of the company, I don't think it hurts fighters. The traditional argument here is if you fight on ESPN Plus, that's not good for you because less people are watching. When you feel the strength of the company behind you in scenarios like that, it doesn't hurt you at all. In fact, I think it helps you. Um, and, and even after this fight, you had the clip with Joe Tessitore where he's meeting Aaron Rodgers. <clears throat> it... it, it I don't want to say it went viral, but it got a lot of attention. I mean, that's really good stuff on their part. That's synergy across the company. Now, I do think that, (coughs) excuse me, I do think that everyone here caught a break with the baseball games because the Dodgers in LA, they played that afternoon and the Yankees were eliminated. So the New York market didn't even have a team in it. But to be fair, that Boston-Milwaukee game was the top-rated show of the night from cable. So it did face direct competition there. And I guess here's the good news overall. When you get ratings like this, it means that your deal is extremely sustainable. And that goes both for Top Rank and ESPN. They did this number without a notable name as a B-side. And Benavidez, was like he made it a really fun fight to his credit, but he's not a huge name. He was, I guess while he was never really a threat to win, he did make it a good fight. If they find opponents like that, which I think they're out there, they can probably repeat this kind of thing with uh, with any, I don't say any, but with other notable opponents, or other opponents, let me rephrase, that aren't notable to the common fan, because Crawford is. 
I think we'll see one or two more of these, probably against solid guys. But with Crawford, you'll need to eventually make that move to pay-per-view at some point soon. This is different from milking those license fees from HBO with someone who probably isn't going to end up on pay-per-view or certainly as a pay-per-view A-side because ESPN is making a profit selling ads against Terrence Crawford. They're happy with this. I think everybody would be happier if Crawford can make that jump to pay-per-view, but they're going to be happy with this. The Spence fight looms really large, but I think there's other fights that make sense. One of the things that really impressed me with the actual broadcast, which I noticed, and I noticed a lot of other people didn't like this, was the fact that after Stevenson had such an incredible performance in his step-up fight, There wasn't a swing fight, so we went about 45 minutes in between action and the ring. And I actually didn't mind this at all. I actually really enjoyed the Crawford vignettes on him and his relationship with his mother. And to the point that I was making earlier about DAZN doing this, this is something that ESPN does really well for the NBA, and they've started to do for boxing, but they need to do more of. Places like the NBA and ESPN market the stars there really well. In fact, they... The NBA in particular does it better than pretty much anybody out there. Marketing stars like Crawford better is way more important to top rank in ESPN than putting on a swing bout. And I think part of that process is doing pieces like that. Overall, it's a great night for boxing, a great night for Crawford. I mean, an incredible night for Shakur Stevenson. He looked really good in his first step-up fight. And It's a huge amount of (laughs) viewership for him to look great in. I mean, even though there was a little bit of a dip in the audience, like right around where his first fight ended, he looked great. And and the rating that that drew and the the people, even at the the low point of it, is still a huge amount of people. I mean, that's the 1.8 million people was more than Lomachenko had in his last fight. So Shakur Stevenson really picked the right moment to, to step it up against a guy who hadn't been stopped uh, before. So, good job there. All right, one other fight from the weekend. Zalan Tete winning by unanimous decision over Mikhail Aloyan. And Andrew Tabidi beats Ruslan Fayfair also by unanimous decision. Both these fights were relatively close. They were both really boring. They were a slog to get through. Um, it's really been the first World Boxing Super Series card that was disappointing in terms of action this in the second season so far. Um, given that there's not a rating for it, it was obviously on zone, and I sat through it. I just don't really have a whole lot more to say about it, so let's move on. Um, a couple news and notes, and then we'll get to the big Canelo free agency and, and Golden Boy signing. Uh, UFC 229, the post-fight meaning of this. There's been a lot of talk about this. Um, even in the mainstream sports world, not just the fight world, I watched this pay-per-view card live instead of watching the zone show from Chicago, and it was a fun card that had some solid action, some great performances. You know, again, a lot of this has been covered by people since it happened like over a week and a half ago. <clears throat> but for the record, I thought this fight would do under 2 million pay-per-view buys, like maybe in the 1.8, 1.9 range. I was way off on this. It did, it actually did 1.8 or 1.9 million buys through the traditional cable system. Uh, And then it did another like 400,000 buys via streaming services. Um, And so it's going to end up somewhere in that 2.3, 2.4 million range. 
both of those things say a lot. I mean, just to have that many buys, 400,000 buys is a, on streaming services is much more than the UFC does for most of their traditional pay-per-views. It speaks to the star power of McGregor. It speaks to who is watching these fights right now. Kudos to the UFC. I mean, they did better than I thought they would do. I think most of the people are going to come away from this card feeling a lot like I did, fun fights, and then really glad they got to see sort of the crazy shit show that happened afterwards. And the UFC will certainly benefit for its big events from the overall show and then the melee after the fact. But I think it's a little bit different than the way you think. The the big events here, especially like Conor or Khabib's next fight, they're going to continue to sell really big. But the brand is going to take a hit. And I think all the boxing fans know this. Boxing went through a period like kind of like 20 years ago toward the end of, end of Tyson's range where like the circus stuff kind of happened. And I think while it does capture the public's attention, it doesn't help build week in, week out fans of the sport. You know, the big events are always still going to be there. They might be as popular as ever. But with what we've seen over the last year or two in boxing and MMA, the health of the sport, uh, of each of them, the health of both combat sports rely much more on core fans willing to tune in a couple times a month to fight cards on either whether it's network TV, whether it's subscribed to pay cable or streaming service. That's what the health of the of each sport relies on. And especially as the UFC enters that new deal with ESPN, you have to understand that ESPN doesn't see a benefit from huge pay-per-view sales. They see a benefit from selling ads against the sport or a satisfaction from people who are clearly subscribing to ESPN Plus for the streaming package there. Um, I don't think an event like that sort of melee thing that happened post-fight helps much in accomplishing either of those goals. I think in a lot of ways it hurts. I think it cheapens the weekly product. Um, But in the same breath that I say that, I will fully admit, I'm going to buy the better pay-per-view cards. I'm going to watch the better free cards with MMA. Um, You know, I'm, I'm still into that. Okay, a couple other quick things. BJ Saunders drug test. Um, you know, I wanted to really see that fight. I, that was upsetting. I hate it when drug tests eliminate fights that I want to see. I just hate that. Um, I don't want to make this too much about my take on PEDs. It's probably a little bit controversial. I think guys should be tested for health rather than PEDs. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of ways... I just want to see the fights. Um, I don't want guys to cheat, though. It's hard when you get into the definition of what that really means. But I'm just disappointed when this kind of stuff happens. And for BJ Saunders specifically, you signed up for VADA, so follow the rules, man. No one to blame here but you. Um, Pacquiao signing with Heyman. May Pacquiao sign without Heyman rather than re-signing with Top Rank or signing with the zone. Got in a normal uh, show, this might have been its own deep dive, but we're just going to touch on it here. Um, in some ways, it's a big deal. In other ways, it really doesn't matter that much. It, if it really ends up being Pac versus Broner in January on Fox, then I'd actually favor Pacquiao in that matchup. I think it's a great fight. I am not going to miss it at all. <clears throat> uh, to be honest, that's probably why the fight's getting made. It's two big names. It's a pretty good matchup, even for hardcore fans. It's really not that cynical. Um you know, of a matchup. And you you can kind of see that with guys like this as they go towards the end of their careers. It can set up a Pacquiao Mayweather or Broner Mayweather fight, uh, depending on who wins. And I'm sure it's going to deliver a great rating. So I can't wait for it. 
All right, let's go to the deep dive here. Let's talk about Canelo's free agency and his fight in December 15th against Rocky Fielding. All right, before we get too far into this, let's just take a second to set the stage for what Golden Boy is doing here. So as Golden Boy sees the writing on the wall with HBO, and believe it or not, HBO still had an option on the fight. They, they still had an option with Canelo. Remember, Canelo was always supposed to fight another time on linear HBO, and he never did. Uh, so they still could have televised this fight. As they had an option on him, as Golden Boy's deal with ESPN is sort of winding down, they're seeing the writing on the wall there. <clears throat> Golden Boy needs to take action, and not just as the quote-unquote advisors to Canelo, but also to look out for the future of their business. And what I mean by that <clears throat> isn't just as simple as like, oh, the future of their business is finding a TV outlet for their fighters. It's much more along the lines of Golden Boy owns a lot of content. They employ a significant amount of people. They're not like a small, nimble you know, promotional company. Their business model is dependent not just on Canelo fighting twice a year on pay-per-view, but also having an, a traditional network uh, or, or distribution partner who can get their higher levels, like fighters, good matchups and develop their younger fighters and help them continue to sign potential opponents for Canelo or make fights for Canelo. And Golden Boy does a legitimately good job at developing their younger fighters. They have a lot of guys signed to contracts who are going to end up fighting on TV and they have a few streaming club level shows and they have that deal with ESPN, which isn't really that, that high of a level. <clears throat> and which, although it could be ending, that was a solid way to get some of their prospects who are at the point where they may not be seasoned high-level fighters, but they're kind of prospects ready to make that jump, and they, and they got to win sort of a bigger fight to make that jump. That was a great outlet for that. Now they just signed this Facebook Watch deal, which I think that's on a little bit of a higher level than the ESPN one, but it's still like for your, for your top fighters, it's a comeback fight sort of thing. And Yes, it's 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 a higher level prospect show, but it's still it's still prospect taking step up fights. It's not really prospects fighting like A or B level opponents. <clears throat> so Golden Boy needs like a marquee deal where they're going to get a solid number of dates at a place that's going to pay real license fees. And I've never really done <clears throat> an episode for how to act as a promoter. And to be fair, I've never been on the promoter side. So maybe I'm not qualified to talk about it as much as others, certainly, but I've seen good promoters in action. And one of the things you need to do is have those guaranteed dates so that when you have the top level fighters for Golden Boy, this is Linares, Lemieux, I mean, Matisse, if he's still fighting, Jojo Diaz, etc., all those guys, <clears throat> they need to get regular action at the highest level where they're getting paid well and they want to stay with you as a promoter. It also allows for your prospects to get opportunities on the big stage, but where you actually have some level of control over their destiny. To paraphrase this, in a previous era where a fighter like Broner was a Golden Boy fighter, which he was, Golden Boy had a lot of influence over who his opponents were on the way up, and it made it a lot easier to develop him as a prospect. This happened while I was at HBO. I mean, 
not everyone can do it the Jaime Munguia way where you just take a fight on short notice as an underdog and just win in dominant knockout fashion and then you just keep winning. To develop most prospects properly, there's like a delicate balance where they need to face a tougher test each step of the way up. You can't just give them fights, especially when you step up to that top level in terms of HBO, Showtime, ESPN, like you can't just give them fights where everyone knows they're going to win because people, that's where people get cynical and they stop watching. Everybody listening to this knows, I mean, they've watched a lot of fights like that. It, it, it sucks, but either way, you can't do it without dates. You want to build those types of prospects up to the point where they get in big fights right away. You know, you don't just constantly see them winning. I know the narrative out there is that guaranteed baits are, da- are, are, are bad because promoters just put on crappy fights. But if prospects are built properly, then we do get good fights eventually. I mean, I think you're starting to see it as a much more common thing on every <clears throat> entity in 2018 so far. I think Showtime has, has put on a lot of these good fights. I think ESPN hasn't done it as much as Showtime, but they've done a, a, a really good job with it. And I think you're going to see more of it in 2019. I mean, even Aram was just quoted on Dan Raphael's show on ESPN Plus is basically saying we're not in the marinating business anymore. And I know it's easy to look at someone like Bob Aram and say he's lying, but I believe him in that. I think everyone is incentivized right now to <clears throat> break through the clutter, to make those big fights. And even if that means putting in a prospect to fight early, now the money exists where you can do it. So that's what Golden Boy is looking for. And Golden Boy has Canelo, who's coming off this fight against Golovkin, where Canelo won, no matter how you scored it. I scored it for Golovkin, but Canelo definitely officially won, and I have no problem with the scorecard with him winning. Canelo's the hottest property in boxing. He's certainly the hottest open market free agent that's going to hit the market in quite some time. I mean, fighters have switched sides before, but even when Floyd did, you got to remember, HBO had a first last on that deal, and Really, what that means is HBO could have matched the offer if they wanted to. But we know this time HBO is not matching any offer because they're leaving the business. And that should make Canelo an even hotter property. Because you can go after him and not just fear that HBO is going to match. I mean, it's it's kind of like being a restricted free agent in the in the NBA or the NFL. Usually less teams are interested in you. Uh, because of that, now every once in a while, you, you know, someone makes a crazy offer. But hey, look, that's that's what happened here, and I think that's because of the open market and the competition. So Golden Boy has the hottest fighter in the sport, but they don't have enough depth in their stable, at least at the highest level, to put on dates the way that Top Rank or the PBC does. And this matters because if you're a network that doesn't televise boxing, but you want to get into the sport, you definitely want Canelo. But you also need the rest of the roster to fill out the, uh, the rest of your schedule. Golden Boy is sort of like an NBA team with one superstar. And in some ways, that superstar is all that matters. But then there's negatives that come with that. Because when you have a star that big, you also have Golden Boy. They have to act as sort of the manager or counselor to the fighter and truly guide their career. And what's best for Golden Boy isn't always what's best for Canelo. And what's best for Canelo isn't always what's best for Golden Boy. So you hope to find a situation that accomplishes both pretty well. I was very doubtful 
that they could find a deal that does that. Some, you know, something that accomplishes both what's best for Canelo and what's best for Golden Boy. But oh man, they got a monster of a deal. <clears throat> and because of that, they joined a place, joining a place like the Zone that already had a promoter putting on big fights. I mean, the Zone's roster is now pretty deep. Like Golden Boy isn't going to be relied on to do everything. I think that's a positive for them. So let's take a look at this deal. <clears throat> I'm recording this Thursday, so we don't have the full scope of the deal yet, but we know it's five years, 11 fights, and $365 million for Canelo. We think, we think that Golden Boy has about 10 fight cards as part of the deal. And while this is excellent for Golden Boy in terms of finding that long-term home for the prime years of Canelo's career, they're also taking care of the company. If it's 10 cards for them, Canelo headlines two of them, there's still a lot more to go around. I mean, Jojo Diaz and Jorge Linares and David Lemieux, they're looking good. We know the deal involves Golden Boy's library too, which is extensive. And we know that DAZN is going to make the fights available in all their markets, which right now are the United States, Canada, Italy, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Japan. It sounds like there will be a studio element to this, to this whole deal, we don't know too much about that yet. But here's what we don't know. We don't know how much money overall is going to Golden Boy. Clearly, Canelo is earning about $33 million a fight. Two fights a year puts him at $66 million. <clears throat> so what else does Golden Boy get in this deal? Is it another 30 or $40 million that puts the Golden Boy contract at about $100 million a year? Is it part of this? Is it coming out of Eddie Hearn's and Matchroom's deal with DAZN? I sincerely doubt DAZN is going to spend $225 million a year on boxing. But if they're spending $100 million on Golden Boy and $125 million on Matchroom, I don't, we don't even know if that's counting the World Boxing Super Series money, which may not be much to be fair, but I, you know, simple math here tells us that for this to be a success in the United States, you need to hit 2 million subscriptions per year. That's $240 million in revenue, which definitely covers your boxing costs. But 2 million subs is quite a number. We'll get to the DAZN element of this in a second, but let's talk about Golden Boy and Canelo aspect first. On the surface, this is an absolute home run for Canelo. Even with Canelo's pay, and man, it's a lot, it might be less than what he would have earned had he done all these fights on pay-per-view as individual things. Look, Floyd probably got paid more than that over his last five fights, and that's even excluding Pacquiao McGregor. Canelo almost certainly earned well more than $33 million in both of his fights with Triple G. And based on that win, you have to think he legitimately moved from the biggest star in the division to a betting favorite against any other middleweight. So if he keeps winning, he keeps earning. If he went to Showtime, for instance, and they pulled Mayweather out of retirement, I mean, Canelo could be looking at $100 million easily just for that fight alone. But if, that's the key word here, this contract takes the if out of the equation. And even if he could have earned more by lining up big fights on pay-per-view, Canelo never would have been able to get a guarantee like this. So I think even though Canelo could have earned more, it's a big win to get that kind of guarantee. And we don't know what the incentives are here. 
So that part still falls in the home run category for me. <clears throat> Going back to Golden Boy's deal, this should also be a home run. How can you say anything different? They kind of just crushed it. They accomplished both the challenges I laid out from the beginning here, which is they totally took care of their star fighter, and then they have a great output deal for their company. But here's the thing, like we don't really know that. We don't know how much Golden Boy is getting from DAZN. We can surmise it's probably a lot based on Canelo's payday. Like I mentioned earlier, there were no details other than 10 fights for Golden Boy, which is a strong amount of fight cards and an upgrade from what they had on HBO, but we don't we just don't know. And they don't have full control of the platform the way that Top Rank and PBC do. I mean, PBC has control of two platforms right now. And I think for the fan, that's a good thing. Because like I mentioned earlier, Golden Boy probably would have a tough time filling out a full platform's fight schedule. But for Golden Boy, we don't know how good that is. Because for them to thrive, they're going to have to find the next Canelo. And they do a great job of developing fighters but it doesn't sound like they're going to have the financial muscle to pull in a major free agent with what they got. Look, Golden Boy has a lot of fighters who are just now maturing to the point where they could probably take step-up fights and be undercard fighters on a DAZN card, but we just don't know how this is going to work. It certainly feels like DAZN will take care of those fighters. I mean, the way Hearns guys are getting paid, Oscars guys will likely get taken care of too. So I have to say the grade for Golden Boy sounds like it should be an A, but it's incomplete at this point. We know it'll probably be a good grade, but we just don't know how good of a grade it'll be yet. But where there's a lot more questions, they're not really for Golden Boy. They're for DAZN. We have a lot of questions here for DAZN. How much is Golden Boy getting to put on non-Canelo cards? How much are they planning on paying opponents? Because as I stated above, in a vacuum, DAZN needs 2 million subs to get to the point where they're affording all of these deals. And Canelo fought Triple G. When Canelo fought Triple G, they didn't get close to 2 million buys in either of their fights. I mean, granted, the price point is way different, but it's still noteworthy. <clears throat> Canelo's only hit the 2 million uh, pay-per-view buy mark in his fight against Mayweather. And again, $10 as a price tag really helps the cause tremendously. But let's just take a look at the WWE Network for a second, because it's taken them a long time to reach the point where they finally hit 2 million subscribers. And more on that later. How close are Hearn and Golden Boy going to have to work together? And is still Hearn going to have 12 or 16 cards, four of which are massive? So 12 regular cards and four massive cards. Because I love how much boxing I'm getting on DAZN, but 26 cards plus the World Boxing Super Series and 16 of Hearn's, of Hearn's Euro fights, that is a ton of fight cards. I'd actually rather get a few less at that point and have Hearn and Golden Boy work together to make them really good cards. I really would. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's just, it's just a ton of cards. Where are the opponents going to come from? Golden Boy may have a lot of fighters, but they don't have PBC-level depth on their roster, and that's being generous. They weren't deep enough at the top to fill out many of the HBO dates this year. I mean, remember, with certain headliners like Matisse and Linares, they had to go out of their own stable for opponents. Is, well, is Golden Boy going to put on cards the same way that Hearn does, which are like the deeper cards than the typical HBO or Showtime cards? Both promotional companies should be happy here. I mean, if we're being totally honest, neither is deep enough to fully anchor a network on their own I mean, top rank is deeper than both, but 
they are even having to go outside of their roster to fill dates on this point at ESPN. But the big point with that is whatever incentives both promotional companies have, which I assume are subscriber numbers, the incentives are much more likely to, to be met with both companies working together. But are they going to play nice? Canelo only has one viable opponent at Golden Boy, David Lemieux. It's very likely DAZN will have every single middleweight belt if Andrade and Jacobs win their fights over the next two weeks because they're both with Eddie Hearn. I'm fine with giving Canelo a pass on Rocky Fielding as long as we see a legit opponent in May. <clears throat> but if you're DAZN, you would have wanted to start this contract with a much bigger fight. The history of boxing suggests that when you sign a fighter to a deal like this, they start taking on lesser opponents rather than truly challenging themselves. This is a really important point here. And while Oscar and Golden Boy have a strong history of daring to be great and taking on top challenges, everyone would here love we'd all love to know how Zone will ensure that we'll see Canelo fight Jacobs, Andrade, Lemieux, and whoever else rises to the occasion. Are we ever going to see Triple G fight Canelo again? I love that. Most people, even myself, have compared DAZN's strategy to Netflix here. Even when we look at Netflix, they've made some huge deals for big pieces of talent, but it's not like Will Smith or Adam Sandler's movies improved a lot when they went over to Netflix. In fact, you can argue they've got worse. And let's focus on that for a second, because... I think when you look at this from DAZN's point of view, that comparison actually does provide them with a pathway to making this deal work. We've talked about this above for Canelo, <clears throat> that while this might be a crazy amount of guaranteed money, it's not all that crazy to say that if he would have fought a solid level of guys, you know, to be honest, just the same level of opponents that he's been fighting on pay-per-view, he'd make more money than this fighting all, you know, all those pay-per-view guys. So I want to come in and say that this is bonkers for DAZN. I mean, I have a lot of questions for him that you just heard, but I don't want to come in and say it's totally crazy. Even in the scenario where DAZN keeps its contract with Hearn and Golden Boy and has Hearn's UK cards in the, in the World Boxing Super Series, like the, even when you keep all that and keep that $125 million and whatever this is, there might still be a pathway to success here. In order to do this, you need to take that Netflix approach. <clears throat> and it's not really unique to Netflix. I did a whole episode on the, on the WWE, which focused on the WWE network. And I actually think that might be a better comp than Netflix here. And I mentioned it above earlier. Look at Hollywood even in terms of films. In this day and age, many times a domestic box office accounts only for a third of the film's actual revenue worldwide. You know, part of the reason that Netflix is valued so high is because their reach into so many countries around the world is astounding. And they have first party data to know what types of shows travel well around the world. Trust me, they're spending billions of dollars making that content right now. <clears throat> so let's put this even another way. If you were a salesman for DAZN, like you made your career in international rights for you know sales for content, and DAZN said to you, hey, we think we have the top two starfighters in the world here, a heavyweight champ from the UK, a middleweight champ from Mexico, 
These guys are absolute blockbuster superstars. We have them locked down for years. What can you do? I mean, you'd be licking your chops. Boxing travels really well. And having the two biggest international names in the sport means you have all the leverage. You also have the library that Golden Boy brings to the table, which can fill out the zone's offering. Simply having Canelo for five years means that you better figure out a way to penetrate Latin America. You'll certainly never have a better opportunity. Two million subs in the United States is asking a lot, but one million subs is actually pretty reachable, especially with what you're offering. I mean, ESPN Plus is already there, and yeah, I mean, they have a lot of other stuff, but I'd expect more to come to to zone soon, too. I mean, I'd expect soccer there certainly pretty quickly. If you're courting the Hispanic audience based in the United States, Canelo definitely brings a lot to the table. But I'm not sure he automatically even hits a million subs unless it's the right matchup. Even if the offering is $10 a month rather than $70 a month for a fight. I mean, he probably hits a million, and maybe he does quite a bit better, but we don't know. I mean, remember, to truly casual fans, if you're taking that WWE approach... Truly casual fans, they're conditioned to pay 70 bucks for two Canelo fights over the course of the year. That's not that much more expensive than $10 a month. And you don't know how much value they see in all the other boxing, especially if they're casuals. And yes, there's a lot of value in all that other programming, especially if they add soccer to the mix too, but you can't just automatically expect that number to get to $2 million based on that. Even if we're looking at 1 million subs in the United States, though, 1 million pays a lot of bills. And when you own the worldwide rights to Canelo's fights and you can enter places like Mexico at the right price point, you could be hitting huge subs there. There are probably very viable markets all throughout Central and South America for Canelo's fights. 33 million a fight, if you can do that, all of a sudden doesn't seem too bad. You can't just enter those markets without stars either. You have to have the biggest stars in the sport. I'm not talking just the pound-for-pound guys who are a legit fighter. I'm I'm saying you need the undeniable stars from the get-go. And there's definitely a path to making this work. In the Q&A I did a few episodes ago, someone asked about this for foreign fights, and I said to expect more of these deals. Worldwide rights are instrumental for this. And to be honest, that's actually another question I have here. They said that Canelo's fights will air in every country where DAZN exists, but is Golden Boy selling the foreign rights for everywhere else? This path to success here that I'm assuming, I'm assuming Golden, uh, Golden Boy sold the worldwide rights to Canelo to DAZN. I'm assuming DAZN has these rights worldwide, and they can scale into countries the way that Netflix and a lot of, play, of other places are doing, especially the WWE Network. That's really, that's what you should be following here. If you're doing that, spending $225 million a year on fights isn't all that crazy. It's a lot, and it probably won't be profitable if you just isolate it in the United States. But soccer, basketball, and boxing all travel pretty well. And DAZN is already invested in soccer and boxing in a pretty major way. I still have reservations for that, though. There is a pathway to success here, but a lot of things need to break right for DAZN to pull that off. And it's a big swing. To listeners who've been here for a while, you know that I've been bullish on the top rank deal. I think Showtime had a really good year. And while I have a lot of questions for the PBC Fox deal, it could be great for consumers. But now with the zone, 
it has even more variance than the PBC Fox deal, and it's really not even close. I'm a satisfied customer at $10 a month for what I'm getting, and quite frankly, I was even before they signed Canelo. The PBC and Top Rank have controlled the risks in their deals. They get a lot of money, but it's not irresponsible from the networks. It's also much easier for ESPN and Fox <clears throat> to sell ads in the United States against that product than it is for DAZN to find new marketplaces worldwide and enter into them and then hit a high enough sub number in all their markets to make this viable. Like I said before, ESPN's already doing their part well. Based on the Crawford fight, they're going to start delivering bigger audiences and clearly leverage their platform. If Fox does the same, yes, they do have to hit bigger numbers than ESPN because they're a true network rather than a cable network, but they have just as much, if not more, upside. DAZN's bar for success is much higher. They're taking a big swing here, and they do have a good sell but the bar is definitely higher. And on their sell of eliminating pay-per-view, here's one thing that won't change. The pay-per-view model isn't going away. The zone is going to have to do its best to claim that it's destroying the pay-per-view model. I just don't think that'll happen. It'll change for sure, but it's not going away. I'm sure I'll have a lot more on that in another episode, but look, the WWE network hasn't even eliminated pay-per-view for wrestling yet. There are still people who don't understand how apps work and they can't figure it out, and they just spend 50 bucks on a pay-per-view to watch WrestleMania rather than subscribe for one month to the WWE Network. So if that's the case, then Showtime, ESPN, and Fox are surely going to still be putting on pay-per-views. What's my overall grade for DAZN? It's kind of like grading an NFL draft class right now, which always looks silly a year later. If a team needed a certain position and drafted a guy high there, yeah, they'll get a good grade. But even the best talent evaluators can't fully predict how a player will work out. I think this is the best DAZN was ever going to do in terms of their strategy. They got the top two guys out there right now. And even though Canelo's contract sounds ridiculous, as I broke down, he might have actually done better on one-off pay-per-views. So the overall amount of money isn't as crazy as it initially sounded. But there are too many questions here to say they nailed it. On all sides. Yes, I think they will get a large amount of subscribers. Clearly core fight fans and casual Hispanic fight fans are going to give this a shot at this point. I just think that if their strategy was only to pursue the markets they're already in and make it in the U.S., this won't cut it for right now. They need to do more and get very aggressive in entertaining new markets. They also can't just abandon Eddie Hearn and the dollars they're giving him because Anthony Joshua is just as important to this part of the strategy as Canelo is. Maybe not as important in Latin America, but he might be more important in Europe. So my grade for DAZN depends on what they do next. This is a C or a C minus, or even worse if they aren't aggressively entering new markets. If they are, it'll get better. It might even get a lot better. Just take a look at WWE Networks or Netflix's worldwide growth, and it becomes very palatable. It's expensive, but palatable. The difference is you're risking it on boxers who can get KO'd or hurt in real ways, they get injured, and they can see their star fall much more quickly than anything in scripted programming. And yeah, I'm including WWE right now when I call it scripted programming. 
but a lot more to come. It's a fascinating deal, and we're going to talk about a lot more on this show. Okay, for right now, let's go on to the preview section. On Saturday, October 20th, we got a couple streaming cards, one on DAZN, one on ESPN+. Let's look at the DAZN card first, where Demetrius Andrade, or Andre, I never know what to say, was supposed to fight BJ Saunders for the WBO middleweight title, which was actually a completely legit middleweight title fight. Now, Andre is fighting Walter Katandokwa, who I've never heard of, and as viewers, we went from an Andrade-Saunders fight that was well-matched, where Saunders was a very small favorite. It was like under 2-1 to one odds. Um, I think he was like minus 150, Saunders was. And now Andrade is a 13-1 to one favorite. And if I haven't heard of a fighter, that's probably pretty bad because I worked in the industry for a while and I pretty much watch everything that's out there. Also on the card, Katie Taylor versus Cindy Serrano. Taylor's like a 30 to 1 favorite, but I am really interested in watching her. I heard that that other fight that she had last time on uh, the HBO undercard was fantastic, but I didn't get to see it. I'm just really excited to watch her fight. Uh, Tevin Farmer versus James Tennyson. Farmer's about a 3 to 1 favorite, so that's pretty well matched. It is unlikely to produce a KO, uh, so we'll probably see it going 12 there. And then Kid Galahad fighting Toka Khan Clary, where Galahad's about a 3 to 1 favorite. You know, I'm semi interested in watching that. That's, you know, at least very well matched. On the ESPN Plus card, we have Ryota Murata versus Rob Brandt in another middleweight fight for sort of a secondary title. Um, and then Maxime Dadashaw versus Antonio DeMarco. Um, a few other interesting prospects on the card. I couldn't find odds for this. You got to think Murata is probably a pretty big favorite. One more interesting card that day, the World Boxing Super Series on DAZN, Emmanuel Rodriguez versus Jason Maloney at bantamweight. Rodriguez is a big favorite, like 10 or 12 to 1. Unier Dorticos versus Matthew Masternak at cruiserweight. Dorticos is about a 6 to 1 favorite, and from his t- Fights in the last World Boxing Super Series, I'm really excited to watch him. He's always been TV-friendly. Then we go to Saturday, October 27th, 7th, where we have what originally was going to be HBO's final card. It sounds like they got two more coming after this. Danny Jacobs fighting Sergei Derevchenko for the vacant IBF middleweight title. The stakes are really high for this one because zone. As mentioned earlier, now seems to have a huge chunk of the viable fights at middleweight, and you'd think Danny Jacobs is headed there, win or lose. Jacobs is about a 3-1 favorite. There weren't too many. I only saw one line out there for this. I think it'll actually be less than 2-1 to one by the time uh, more lines come out. I mean, Derevchenko is his stablemate. It's clearly these guys know each other. I hope that makes it a better fight. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes that aspect of it works against uh, it being a TV-friendly fight. Also on the card, Alberto Machado versus Yondel Evans and Heather Hardy versus Shelly Vincent. No odds on those. That kind of unfortunately just speaks to the level where they're at. Um, two of the other cards of, of note on that day, ESPN Plus has Kubrat Pula versus Huey Fury uh, in one, one of the international cards where they're actually, it's a really uh, close to even odds fight. I'm not sure it'll be super TV friendly though. And then the World Boxing Super Series coming in strong again with Regis Progray versus Terry Flanagan. 
which actually might be the fight I'm most excited about watching in the next two weeks, even though Progre is about an 8-1 to favorite. He's just a really fun fighter to watch. Ivan Baranchik versus Anthony Yejit is also happening from New Orleans. Baranchik is about a 4-5-1 or five to one favorite. Um, I think there's actually another fight from Eddie Hearn's UK deal on DAZN that doesn't have too many big names. Um, but there, we're coming in strong. There's a lot of fights. It's it, this fall, tons of fights. There's going to be at least one, sometimes two or three very solid to great cards every week, basically starting September 8th and going through December 22nd. And that leads me to sort of my final point here. Um, I did an article for Ring Magazine that should come out soon. It's going to be in the actual magazine. And it looks at the top things to look forward to in 2019. Competition among networks is one of them. And to any listeners who've listened to the show and to people who have just are boxing fans this fall and watching a lot of the content, you know my thoughts on this. I think network competition is great for boxing. I encourage everyone to pick up the magazine and, and read it. Um, <clears throat> and I think this is a real exciting time to be a fight fan. It, the next year to two years, there's going to be a lot of winners and losers that come out of this. And the competition that gets us there is going to make for extremely exciting fights. I would be really optimistic. I know there's a lot of network divides and can the biggest fights get made. I think they can. I think the money is going to be strong enough that in the next year to year and a half, we're going to see a lot of the biggest fights get made. And we're going to, the incentives are all there for the next year, basically, to just be a great year. We're starting to see it this fall and we're going to continue to see it. At least that's the way I feel about it. Um, I hope you guys are psyched about it, too. I think it's a really exciting time to be a fight fan. I'll be back in two weeks. We'll have a lot, of talk, uh, a lot to talk about then. That will probably be where I sort of say the official farewell to HBO. I know I did a little bit of it last episode, um, but I'll take a look at their year. And you kind of know why I initially felt they've gotten out of the sport, but I want to take a look back. I want to see what they've done. And it's really, at this point, it's not why they're out. It's... it's I want to call it good riddance, but it's time. it was time for them to leave. They don't have the business model to be in there anymore. But more on that next time. I'll see you guys in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for?